0: We're starting a series called Memento More, and we're going to talk about death for the next few weeks. Who's pumped about that? I no one. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I was telling people were like what are we talking about? like why are we doing this isn't is this even a Christian thing like people were like people were texting me with concerns like didn't isn't this a philosopher thing is this in the we'll get to all of that don't worry it's going to be okay everyone uh, but as we started talking about this I said we I, I want to start it off by talking about how we talk about death so this is my talk about how we talk about death because i think if we're all honest we would say that we've had weird experiences with the church talking about death are you with me is maybe it's just me i i, I can't are you guys here is everybody good okay all right well, some some when i ask questions some acknowledgement would be great we can do it i uh, we can we can be there. Uh, I I think it's just been kind of some weird conversations about death in the church over the years. How many of you grew up in a church that did the fire and brimstone thing that you were just terrified of everything when you were a child? Uh, did anybody grow up in the church that did like the like the really terrifying Halloween things where there's like a car accident out front? Yeah, just Allie, me too Allie, just me and you, just me and you, like there was it just like the church had all these weird ways and that we talked about death. I think the 80s and 90s was like prime guilt and shame territory for youth ministry. We burned our CDs, we, we were terrified of death, all of those things were happening constantly and, and I really do think we have to talk about death in the church and I'm going to share kind of why but I think there's a way in which we talk about it that matters, and I think the way in which we dialogue about the end matters, and I think it's significant to think about there is an abundant life that is available to us when we remember death. So memento more is a real simple phrase. It's actually a literal translation of Genesis chapter three, verse 19. So this is like the translation of this. So somebody asked me, what came first? Did the Stoics use this first, or did the Bible use this first? I'm always going to lean towards the Bible, right? I think most of common sense good stuff is all rooted in the Bible. How many of you have read like a business leadership book in the last five years, and you're like, oh, this is all in my Bible, right? I know all of these things. It's already here. All of our wisdom is sourced out of this book, and so in Genesis chapter 3, 19, it starts off. By, with this phrase, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, which men in the room, this is your theology for eating pancakes and waffles. So anybody who's been looking for a biblical reason to eat pancakes, it's right there. Genesis chapter three, verse, by the sweat of your face, if you've ever been sweating while you've eaten pancakes, Genesis says, that is good, all right? That is good. It's all good. But then it takes a really kind of disturbing turn and gets a little dark. It's it By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread, but till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, right? Does that feel like an exciting topic for us today? Memento mori, translated, literally means remember your death, and it's kind of a trope, Or an artistic symbol that's used all over the place. In fact, if you go to a Puritan cemetery, there are memento mori signs and symbols all over the place. The skull, the cross, the dying rose, the hourglass that is being poured out. There are all these images that the first American Christians used to talk about this. In philosophy, Democritus used to train himself by spending time in a cemetery. He would actually spend time in a tomb. Socrates and Plato, all of us teach us this principle of remembering our death so that we can live. Historical records actually say that when Romans would conquer a territory, they would enter into the city and begin to celebrate. There was lots of crazy things that they would do. The Romans, like America, wanted to make Rome great again, right? They were great at celebrating themselves. They were great at winning, And so Rome was amazing at celebrating their wins. And so when Rome would conquer a territory, what they would do is they would, one, parade the leader of that territory through the parade up front, completely naked, to shame them. And people would throw things at them. We we don't do that anymore, which is probably pretty good. Uh, They would take them through the territory. They would shame them, naked person up front. And then the general would be in the back, like all geared up. Super general, gold everywhere, on the horse, the horse is all decorated, everything was all perfect, and as the general would ride through the community, everybody would cheer and go crazy for whoever this leader was, right? It was like the day to celebrate that leader. In Rome, the philosophers were constantly teaching them to remember their death. And so in Rome, during these parades, there was literally a slave that would walk behind the general that was being celebrated, who every couple moments would just say, remember your death, remember your death, remember your death, remember your death. And he wasn't saying it for the crowd. He wasn't saying it for the people that were there to get like the candy that gets tossed out at the parades. He was saying it for the general. There was something that the philosophers believed that by remembering your death, it kept us humble. By remembering that you are from dust and you're going to go to dust again in the future, it allowed us to not become too prideful, to not become too elevated in ourselves, to not believe that the whole world revolves around you. And Scripture teaches us many of those same things. So, so why are we doing a sermon on death, a sermon series on death? That sounds awful. It's already cold and rainy today, and now I showed up to church, and we're talking about death. Uh, one is because the church calendar prepares us for this, right? So we are in a season of Lent right now. The season of Lent is the time that leads us up to the, to the resurrection, right? And so as we go through this process of Lent, we're constantly reflecting on Christ's death, we're constantly reflecting on what Christ sacrificed for us. We're constantly looking at his life and his death and his resurrection in this season. Um, secondly, we're coming out of a season as a country where, for the first time in my lifetime, there were death counters on the TV. Are you with me?" Every morning, during COVID, there was these counters that popped across that said, "This is how many people have died." I remember at one point looking at him and saying, "Wow. George is doing better, less people dying. How awful is that? We're coming out of this season where there's not one of us in the room who didn't lose somebody we know and love during COVID, who didn't experience some sort of loss or pain or brokenness in that season. The third reason is just our shared experience. Uh, Over the last few years, we've lost people that we love in this church and that we care about. And if you've been a part of our congregation for any amount of time, you know that there are friends that we have lost here who we loved and who we cared for, and it hurts. One of the number one questions I got asked over the last three years as a pastor is, how do I talk to my kids about death? Like, how do I explain to my five-year-old what's going on? How do I explain to them that grandma's not here anymore? How do I explain to them that we're going to another funeral? How do I explain to them all of these different things? The fourth reason is that the Bible talks about this all the time. There is over 2,000 verses in Scripture that talk about death. If you read through the passages of Scripture, you'll see passages about dying, about death, about sleeping, about waking, about all of these things, about death that's happening all over the pages of Scripture. It's everywhere. Yet we haven't really figured out in the church how do we talk about death. It's an essential part of life, which leads us to the final point of why we talk about death. Here's the reality. All of us are going to die. It's the one thing that every single one of us in this room will experience at some point. Everything will come to an end. All of us will die. It's not something we love to talk about. It's not something we come to church to talk about. It's not something we talk about at dinner parties. In fact, we try and get away from it as much as we possibly can. We try and stay away from death. I was reading a story this week about the city of San Francisco. The city of San Francisco, around the turn of the century, forbade any cemeteries to be in, the, in San Francisco proper. So in the actual city, they said, we're not even going to have cemeteries anymore. They moved all of their cemeteries outside of the city. And to this day, there is a law that nobody can be buried in the city of San Francisco. That's what we want to do with death. Are you with me? We want to push it out to the suburbs, out to the rural areas, out somewhere where we don't have to interact with it, where we don't have to drive past it, where we don't have to see it, where we don't have to know that it's real. We want want to just kind of acknowledge it in our heads, but not talk about it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this. It says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Man is going to die. Isaiah 40 verse 7 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. These are not verses that your grandma quoted to you when you were growing up. These were not on t-shirts at youth ministry events, right? These were not the things that we talked about or that we cared about or that we spent time with. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis, I'm sorry, to Psalms chapter ninety. Psalms chapter 90 is kind of where we're going to root this to talk about how we talk about death. And what's interesting about Psalms chapter 90 is it's a psalm that is not attributed to David, right? So if you know your psalms, you know that many of the psalms, most of the psalms were written by David. This psalm is actually credited to and written by Moses, which is interesting. Uh, It's also, according to many scholars, the oldest scripture in our Bibles, so, the book of Job and Psalms chapter 90 are the oldest kind of relics, the first written pieces of our scripture that we know of. And so, this is written by Moses, not David. So, David is the king, right? David is the song leader. David is poetic. David says beautiful things. David manages to put the words together in incredible ways. Moses, not so much. Uh, but Moses wrote Psalms. 90. And in Psalms 90, it just starts off with a prayer of Moses, and it says, the prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forward, or ever you had formed the earth of the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalms 90 begins with the fact that God is everlasting. We just sang about it. That God is powerful, that God is strong that God is amazing, that God is incredible. There is this praise to the everlasting God who does not expire, who does not run out, and who does not die. And then the psalm turns and it says, but we are weak. We're not that way. We're not everlasting. Uh, There's a limit on our time. There are moments where we're going to run out, where our life is short, where everything is not everlasting. So this God is great and we are weak is the picture of Psalms. And then it gets to Psalms 90 verse 12, which is kind of the pinnacle of this psalm, and it simply says this, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I love what the New Living Translation says. It says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we might grow in wisdom. Here's what Scripture teaches. Here's what the philosophers taught way back. Here's what Rome was teaching with this idea of memento more. It's this idea, very simply, that what if in remembering our death, we might renew our lives? What if by thinking about the end... We learn something about the beginning. What if by paying attention to what could be in the end, we learn something now? I went to a retreat once. It was a pastor's retreat, and pastors do weird things at retreats. Um, Pastor's retreats are not always super fun. Um, Some of you go on work retreats, and you look forward to them. Uh, A lot of pastor's retreats is like, uh, it's it's a lot of praying. Uh, And sometimes that's wonderful, and sometimes that's a little long uh, so at this retreat, it was, uh, it was one of those retreats. I didn't have any friends there. I didn't know anybody. I was like, who's going out for drinks afterwards? And no one was doing anything. They were just all fasting and praying. And uh, I, it was just not the most fun uh, experience that I'd ever had. And we got about midway through the day, and, uh, and, and the guy that was leading it said, here's what I want you to do. I want you all to write your obituary. And I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever been to in my, in my Jesus, can can you get me out of here? I was really struggling, and I like I I honestly was like, there was this part of me that was like, I just I I think I could probably sneak out the back right now and nobody would notice. I think I could be done. Maybe how some of you are feeling right now. Um, And I just there was a check in my spirit. I just sensed the Lord saying, just stay, stay. It's good. And so I just was like, all right, Lord, I'm just going to surrender myself to this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. And I started writing my own obituary. And in the middle of it, I started just thinking about my kids. And I started thinking about what do I want them to write about me? Because they're going to be the ones that are probably going to be writing this. Right? Sarah's probably going to go before me. We all know that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. They're probably going to be the ones writing this. Like this is this is going to be them. And I started thinking, and the whole thing felt morbid and weird, and I hated the exercise. But in the middle of it, there was something that was good, and there was something that caused me to reflect. It's like that moment when you walk away from a funeral, and you feel like you have some clarity on what really matters. Uh, I've been a pastor for 27 years. And you know what I've never experienced at a funeral? Pettiness. I've been to weddings where I had like bridezilla, right? <laughs> where, the, where the parents of one of the people getting married were like, hey, this, you, you didn't do this right, you didn't do this right, you know, they were very upset, there was a lot of pettiness. I've been to weddings where the family's like at odds with one another, they're fighting with one another, they're battling with one another. I've been at weddings where I've seen enormous amounts of pettiness. At a funeral, I've never done a funeral in my life where people didn't walk up to me and say, thank you, pastor. There's something about death that brings clarity. There's something about thinking about the end that actually does bring wisdom and there's this clarity that comes. When we drive away from a funeral, we call the people we love and we remind them that we love them. We're a little more open to what God is doing. We, we start thinking about what's next for us. We start thinking about, am I good, right? Am I okay, Philippians chapter two, verse 12 says, "'Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, "'so now, not as only in my presence, "'but much more in my absence, "'work out your salvation with fear and with trembling.'" I think we start working out our salvation as we walk away from a funeral. We're like, all right, am I I good, Jesus? Am I secure? Is everything okay? And we start to think of our own end, and it brings some clarity. Uh, I'm a pastor so I'm a little bit of a church architecture nerd. Like I love church architecture. And and I love drive I especially love driving through old cities. I'm going to be in Boston in a couple weeks and I love looking at the giant church buildings in these cities. I love going in and seeing the stained glass. I love looking at all of those kinds of things. They're, they're pretty amazing. Um, but when old churches first began being built in the United States, so if you go kind of to the northeast and you find the first churches that were built, there's nothing extravagant about them. It's just like a white wood building. Most of them are deteriorated or gone by now. There wasn't a lot of symbols around the building. There wasn't anything really ornate or incredible about them, it was just kind of very similar to some of the architecture you see in here. Just a white building, pews in it, people gathered. Um, But the one thing that all the old Puritan churches have is a cemetery right next to the church. Anybody seen a new megachurch with a cemetery next door? Built the climbing wall, built the coffee shop. We got the co working space and we got the cemetery. It's not happening. It's not happening in our culture. Maybe it's because at that time life expectancy was 40. So not a lot of people were living long lives. Maybe it's because of the infant mortality rates. If you study those, of what was happening, it's crazy how many people died and how short life was. And how connected life was to the church. And so, for the cemetery to be right next to the church was not an unusual or a weird thing. It was just that's where I come to worship. In fact, most of these places, the cemetery would be where our park is, it would be the place where they have picnics, it would be the place where the kids run and play after the service. It was not like a creepy Scooby-Doo kind of place where it's like hidden off somewhere and it's dark and everybody's afraid of it and they've got lanterns and giant keys or something, right? It wasn't, there's like a gatekeeper who walks funny, like none of that. That was not how it was. It was just part of the life of the church. There was a cemetery right next to the church and they walked and they played in it. But for modern folks, we've decided we don't like that. We don't want that. We don't want the cemetery where we can see it. We want it isolated in a separate place. We want it taken off to a different place. We don't want to walk and play and live and and interact with death. We want death to be as far away as we can. And I do think the church has done a poor job talking about death. I don't know about you. You guys weren't very active earlier, but but I, I had a lot of fire and brimstone when I was a kid. I had a lot of people talk to me about my death when I was 13 and 14. And some of that was actually helpful, right? Scripture tells us that fear is the beginning of what? Wisdom, right? And so there is a reality, but then there's also this reality of I don't think we scare people into the kingdom, I don't think we frighten little kids and emotionally manipulate them into getting into the kingdom, but I'm worried about because of the fact that we've talked about death in the wrong way in the church that now we've decided we can't talk about death at all. And so my question for us today is, is there a way for us to talk about death that is actually holy and right and good and real and leads us to places of wisdom and not just fear and shame? Is there a way for us to talk about this in a way that actually helps? Leslie Weatherford did a study, and in his study, he averaged out the human lifespan, and he said, this is how a human life works if it was narrowed down into 24 hours. So if our life was 24 hours long, and you lived to be the average human lifespan, which is 79 years, if that was all laid out in a 24-hour day, then your one day would look like this. At age 15, the time is 1025 a.m. At age 20, it's 1134. At 25, it's 1242 p.m. or at lunchtime. If you're 30, the time is 1.51. If you're 35, the time is 3 o'clock. If you're 40, the time is 4.08. If 45, the time is 5.15. If you're 50, which is, golly, that's where I'm at now, it's 6.25, it's dinner time. If you're 55, the time is 7.24. If you're 60, the time is 8.42. If you're 65, the time is 9.51, and if you're 70, the time is 11 p.m. Thank you, morbid pastor. (laughs) I read that, and I just realized there's a limited amount of time. And it's true for all of us. Wherever you are on that time slot, you'll realize there's already been some time that has passed. And for most of us, it's more time than what you think. Uh, And and I don't know, as you get older, I feel like there's all these weird kind of things when your body starts to break down. I'm experiencing a lot of that right now. Where I'm like, my body just doesn't work anymore. My knees, like, it feels like somebody hit my knees with baseball bats a lot when I was a child. And I don't think that happened, but I feel the repercussions of that now. Uh, Like, I just, there's pain. and, And like, I can tell that even in my body, things are expiring. My hairline, my belly, the amount of ear hair that is, ha- like, I don't know what, I turned 45 and my ears were like, let's just get real hairy. All of a sudden, I don't know, some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's coming, <laughs> right? It's coming, it's, and it's, you're, there's no, it's that, uh, you know, what time am I, I'm at 625, it's coming at 625, it's gonna happen, And so what decisions do we need to make based on the fact that time is limited? What decisions do we need to think about based on the fact that time is short? I think about this a lot with my kids these days. Cole is in college now, and so he's not here all the time. And and I know that my relationship with him has shifted as he's gone to college and I've got my 18-year-old will be at college next year, so next year we'll have two of our three will be out at college, and then I've got a 13-year-old little girl who we're hanging on to. That poor little thing's going to be so, like, she's going to get so much parental attention over the next few years because she's all we got at home, and I'm, I know that I got really four more years with her, and she's off to college, and suddenly we're empty nesters. I don't know if any of you are counting the days and the years in that way, but I'm really aware that there is a short amount of time that I have them at home, and that there's things that I wanna say to them, and there's things that I wanna do, and there's ways that I wanna bless them, and there's things that I wanna impart in them, and there's things that I want to give them as a father in that short period of time, but rarely do I think about life expiring. My mom's a little older now, and my, mom, my mom's name is Debbie, and there's a Saturday Night Live skit called Debbie Downer. Uh, and she's probably listening. I love you, Mom. Uh, but every time I meet with my mom, the first thing she says to me is, well, so-and-so died. <laughs> like, it's all, like, I'll, I'll call. I'll be like, hey, Mom, how's it going? Well, your great aunt Betty is dead. And I'm like, who? Who? She's like your third aunt from your, this side of the family, and we met her when you were four at a, at a family reunion in Kentucky, and don't you remember that? I'm like, Mom, I don't know who that, that is. I'm really sorry that your third aunt died. Like, uh, there, is, there is a reality, though, that the older you get, your, your friends start to die. We lost some friends this year. I lost two really close friends this year, people that were a huge part of my life. And there's this wrestling, because when I was younger, it was like, this is a freak thing that happened just because I'm young, and this only happens occasionally. And now as I get older, like, I've got friends that are dying, and I'm realizing that this is the reality of life. Bonnie Ware was a hospice nurse, and she wrote a book entitled The Top Five Regrets of Dying, inspired by her hospice caregiving, and she said these are the five things that she heard the most. Number five was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not to what others expected of me. Number four was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three was, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number two was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number one was, I wish I had let myself be happier. In the end, we're not thinking about petty things and small things thinking about the relationships that we have, we're thinking about the people we care about the most, we're thinking about life, and we're thinking about legacy. I was having lunch recently with somebody who was retiring, and they were asking all the questions that men ask when they retire, and they were saying, did I make a mark? Did what I do for the last 30 years in my work life matter? Did I impact people? Are people better because I worked at this company? Are there people that know Jesus because I was there and I was their boss? Are there there relationships that are shifted? We all are constantly thinking of what's our legacy. And the reality is, like this is crazy to think about, two generations from now, this church will be filled, but it will be filled with people who have no idea who we are or what we did. I've got two just real simple, maybe kind of prophetic thoughts for us as we enter into the rest of this series, and I'm really excited about this series. We've got my friend Kristen Dooley, who's going to come next week, uh, and we're going to really dive into kind of this idea of how do we talk about death. Um, But I keep thinking about the the women who showed up at the tomb on Easter morning. I, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that they're walking to the tomb of Jesus with their burial spices. Like they're doing the work that they were supposed to do. It's just what you do. So they were going to bless the body. They were going to make sure it didn't smell. They were going to do some sort of ritualized version of saying goodbye, a ritual of grief. And there's something really vulnerable about it. They're walking to the tomb to do this vulnerable grieving and this vulnerable anointing. I don't know if you've stood at the coffin of somebody that you loved. There's this vulnerable moment of saying goodbye. And I wonder if in this series, Jesus is inviting us to step into those vulnerable spaces. I wonder if we have taken the grief and the grieving and the hurt and the pain in our life and we've moved it outside the city, away from the church, where we can't see it, where we don't have to deal with it, where we don't have to reflect on it, where it's just out of the way. And I wonder if there's an invitation for us to tend to the vulnerable things in the next few weeks. I wonder if there's an invitation for some of you to actually grieve. I wonder if there's an invitation for you to actually experience some of the hurt and pain and brokenness that comes through death. And I think there's healing in that. But even in the middle of those vulnerable things, I'm also reminded of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is like a superhero in so many different ways. Like, just you read the stories. There's, there's that whole passage where it talks about, like, I was shipwrecked. I was sent to a desert island. I was flogged. It's like a terrible Dr. Seuss kind of thing of suffering, right, that Paul went through in his life. There's all of these, like, awful, terrible things that happened in his life. And then he gets to the end of it, and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm like, I want that. I want that Boldness. I want to be the Apostle Paul with my cape flowing in the wind, like saying, world, bring whatever you got at me because I'm I'm good. The early church, when they were being persecuted, right? When Nero was was creating human torches of Christians and putting them on the side of the road, when Nero was sending the Christians into the lion's den and into the Colosseum to be gladiators, when all of those things were happening, the early church's rally cry was Death, where is your sting? They were talking trash to death. Death is gonna come. I know it's going to happen. I know it's in my future. I might be at 6.30 right now, but when that time comes, I know where I belong. I know who I belong to, and I am secure, and I am safe in the arms of my loving Savior. I have worked out my salvation with fear and trembling. I have come to a place where I have repented, and I believe that Jesus is Lord, and I'm trusting in the work that Jesus has done, and I'm trusting that his grace is bigger than any of my big mistakes that I made in my life. I want to be be there. I want to be the Apostle Paul with cape flowing in the wind saying, come on. I'm going to pour myself out for the rest of my life. From 6.30 till midnight, the six hours that I got left, I poured myself out. Paul, I love one of Paul's Statements, he just simply says, Let it be said of me that I spent my life telling people of Jesus and Him crucified and nothing else. That that's what I did. That that's the way I poured myself out. And so today, I wonder if there's somebody in the room who just needs to simply say, I want that security. I want to know. And I know it's super weird when people like walk up to you randomly on the street and you don't know them and they're like, hey, do you know where you're going to spend eternity if you were to die tonight. But it's not a bad question. It's presented in a weird way, right? And there's people that do it in really awkward ways. And leaving a waiter or a waitress like a dollar, a fake dollar that has that written on it is not cool, right? Like that, just leave a real tip, right? There are super weird ways in which that's said, and there are super wrong ways in which we've talked about death, but can we just acknowledge for us to think about and number our days that there actually is wisdom in it? for us to think about what's the legacy that I leave, for us to think about what's the gift that I'm leaving for my kids and for my family, for us to think about do I really know Jesus and will I walk with him and what will happen at the end of my days. These are questions that we should talk about in the church. These are questions that we should reflect about, but we should reflect on them with hope and with joy and with the opportunity that Jesus has saved us all. Uh, We have no reason to hide for the truth about death and its ugliness. Because if death is not a problem, then Jesus isn't much of a solution. The more deeply we feel death's sting, the more consciously we feel the gospel healing's power, the more carefully we number our days, the more joyfully we hear that death's days are numbered too, and the more we allow ourselves to grieve the separations death brings to our lives, the more fully we will long for a world in which he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and where death will be no more, and there will be no mourning or crying or pain Anymore. Death is hard. It's hard for us to talk about. And we don't even know how to talk about it in the church. I might have just screwed all of this up. But it's real. And it matters. And Jesus is good. And the work that he's done is sufficient. And maybe today is the day where you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The prayer team's going to come, and they're going to gather right here against this wall. And if you want to say, I just need to figure this out, and I'm not quite sure where I am or what it looks like, but I want to have a relationship with Christ and come and pray with someone on the prayer team. And we're going to take communion a little differently today. I, we've got some leaders from our church that are going to kind of gather all around the room. And for the first time since COVID started, we have real bread and real juice. Uh, if, you're, if you're, yeah, some of you are excited about that. Some of you are like, I don't want that. I want the packaged version. The packaged versions are there. You can grab that if you're uncomfortable with that. There's no shame or guilt in either of those decisions. We love you. We're not talking about it, right? Uh, and, uh, and so we'll have some leaders that are gathered, and they just want to pray a blessing over you as you receive the elements today. And they just want to say a simple blessing over you. And then I just want to invite you as we sing this next song to just say to Jesus, all right, Jesus, as we talk about death, is there something you want to say to me? Holy Spirit, is there something that you want to reveal to me? Is there something you want me to think about or to know about or to understand and We want you just to take time to do that. So let me pray for us and I'm just gonna give it over to Jesus at this point and pray that he uses it. Easter Sunday is always super exciting for us and we fill the tub with baptisms and we celebrate and it's loud and it's exciting. But before resurrection comes death for all of us. And so Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us to number our days so that we would be wise. I pray that you would teach us to look forward so that we can understand what's going on in the long run. I pray that you would be gracious to us and kind to us and gentle to us. And I pray that you would help us to understand and to number our days. And whether we're at 1030 in the morning or 11 o'clock at night on our 24-hour day, I pray that we would pour ourselves out in the service of you with the rest of our lives pray that you would take what we have and you would use it for your glory. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that there's nowhere or no thing that we've done where we've run too far or done too much, that our sin is great, but your love is greater. And I pray that you would speak and move. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to move and work and have your way with us. I ask that you speak to your servants who are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray.